Hello, this is Pastor Paul, and I'm an associate pastor at Living Word Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today, because I know the word from Pastor Doug will minister to your spirit, and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the word. Enjoy today's message. We're going to talk today about uh, how to how to get the most in our relationship with God, how to be the most for Him, how we can receive the most from Him, because this is a relationship. You know, I, years ago when, when we were starting Living Word, something I purposed in my heart is it not become a, a place to do religion, but rather a place that people learn what it is to have relationship with God. You know, we, we can be, we, we can have a, an element of a religious tradition that's respectable. There are things that I love about, uh, about Christianity that are, that are in expression. I, I love hearing preaching and teaching. I, I love all kinds of music, the old and the new. I, I love expressions of prayer where our faith is in Him. I love encouraging people that they're going to make it in this life, that they have a God that's on their side and a devil that's against them. We always have an enemy. We don't need more enemies. We need to know more about our, our, our friend in God, our friend in one another. So today, part of my aim is to, to help equip us as a church to be better in, in our relationships with people, because honestly, how we represent God to people first happens with an inward working of God in our hearts. Your ability to reach out to others will flourish if God's ability to work on you is happening on the inside. Just like worship is an outward expression of an inward working, so too is our sharing Jesus or witnessing or caring or doing good for other people. There are a lot of ways we can do that, innumerable ways. I've never yet taken food to a person that I didn't get a thank you and a smile and an appreciation, a lot of times a note in the mail. It's amazing to me people send notes for getting a little dinner, but people do. Why? There is a need in humanity to be cared about, to be cared for. Jesus put his church in the earth to be the people who would specialize in that. Now, we won't do that unless we let God do the work in our hearts to give us the capacity to do that. I remember many years ago when I, I first was around full gospel people, I, I grew up in a Methodist church and we had form of worship. We sang wonderful hymns, had, had wonderful music, but I had never seen anybody come to the altar for any reason. I'd never seen anybody lift their hands in, in church. I, I thought it was something wrong. They're wanting the attention of the leader, you know. I didn't know what they were doing. And I didn't understand that there was this work of God going on in people that they wanted to express appreciation to God and uh, express a, a caring and a concern for one another. You know, I would say as, as a church, we're learning a lot more about worship. That's why I take a few minutes to talk about it pretty much every Sunday because it's, it's one of the, the healthy aspects of our relationship with God is we will want to. We will want to find expression to give him thanks. And evidence today I want to talk about beyond worship, but it's connected to worship, is another thing that we will do as, as Christians, as the body of Christ in the earth, if we're healthy on the inside. We will not only look for what we can receive from God, but what we can do in reaching people for him. There are a lot of ways to reach people. Some as you just show concern to begin with. As people are, are, are shut in or shut down, you look for ways to create connection with people. And we're going to have to be maybe more in, inventive, innovative about that over the winter months. I'm not sure. But I'm really looking into that. How can we better do that? Because it, it, what should be happening in, in Christians right now during all the restrictions with COVID is this desire on the inside burning, desire to be with people and do the work of Christ Jesus. And he was among the people. So if there's a burning desire and that's from God, then we find ways to do that. So I would, I would ask you to begin to employ your faith. Use your faith to find out from God, how do I do that? Otherwise, we become really frustrated as believers. 
We, we, we should have this as much as we want to worship him. Are you here? You might be in your vehicle or, or in your house or wherever listening to good Christian music, something that, that makes you want to talk to God and you're, you're just, you just get excited. There should be something that happens in you when you're around hurting people that, wants, uh, that, that creates in you a demand, a demand on the inside of you for an outward expression to make a difference. As a nation and in this crisis, people are becoming more and more self-centered. Xenophobic is the word that, that people are using in the world to describe it. But apart and away and fearful of one another. Well, that isn't God's plan. So what we have to do is find ways to be innovative, to make a difference for people. And I believe the body of Christ without cause is a paralyzed body. When we don't have something to do, we're a paralyzed body. When, when we go into stasis and we don't live and move and have our being in him, pretty soon our Christianity will dry up and there won't be an outward expression. How that happens in worship, if you haven't worshiped all week and you come here to worship, it, it's harder to enter in. And you think, well, uh, I wish I felt like going up there. I wish I felt like I had my hands up or I wish I could be thankful for something. It's because we went a week without an outward expression. Because when we create an outward expression to God, Scripture says He's there. As soon as we worship Him, He's there. As soon as two or three gather together in His name, He's there. So Sunday, we're confronted with how we've done all week. How, how, to, how am I this morning coming in? Is the, the pump primed in my well? Am I ready to go? We should have several things that automatically we're evaluating as we come together. What have I done to connect with people in the church? What have I done to reach out beyond the church? What have I done? And to not who didn't call me this week or who didn't reach out to me or who didn't know I was sick. Scripture says that we are to be responsible to reach out even when we're the one in need. Did you know that? One of the hardest things for, for people to understand is, is Christians are not uh, all-knowing. God is. We are not. And most of the time we find out information from other people, not the Holy Spirit. If somebody's sick, I've never had the Holy Spirit tell me anybody's sick yet. He's told me to get up and go sometimes when I find out somebody's sick, but he's never told me somebody's sick. Why? That's not in his arena. That's in our arena to manage. So, so much of our ability to help people depends on us being aware that it's, it's, it's the normal thing. We're not normal as a Christian if we don't care to reach people. As we come into the holiday season, I want to I plant some seed in your thinking that will make us healthier as a church, will make us healthier as individual believers, that will give God more of an expression where we live. Your life should be screaming Jesus somehow. And not all the time screaming. Sometimes it's, it's quiet and subtle way to care for people. I'm going to start in Ephesians. Ephesians is the New Testament, a New Testament book written to a, a group of Christians, a good church. He's talking to a good church. This morning, I'm talking to a good church. And uh, what we want to do is, is keep track of how we're doing uh, in, in our own lives and individually. There's always, you know, when, when, when pastor talks about an outward expression, there's something that's supposed to happen privately first, individually first. You control that. In fact, you really control, you determine how much ministry happens at church through your, your own individual response, response to Scripture. A lot of times people think church, church service or ministry is what happens in a church service. No, church service is meant to tap you for ministry, to say, tag, you're it, you're involved. Here's an opportunity. Not every opportunity will be met the same way by each person. There, 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 there are needs that are met by church ministry. One area is social, a socialization, a need to be together, a, a being fitly joined together, Scripture calls it, or being fitted together like a puzzle that has a bigger picture when it all comes together. That's social. Much of, much of what happens with church people happens socially, not just in the house. The greater working should be on the outside of the house. We're only here a few hours a week if you come to everything we're doing in the building. More ministry happens on the outside of this building in one day than ever happens in all the services put together in a week because of the people. See, if we don't see it that way, we'll miss what ministry is about. This is a celebration where we get direction. 
Scripture in the Old Testament called it going back to the hold in the camp. It's where they kept the, the weapons and the ammunition and all the officers in the camp. Said, here's what we're going to do. Here's our strategy marching out of here. Sometimes they marched out and they were on the offensive. They were just watching out that the enemy didn't get in and mess with the people in their area. Other times the enemy had broken through and they were going out there to boot him out. When we come together as church, we're doing both things. People always need both things. There are times in my life where I, I, I need help being reassured. There are other times I can be the one to reassure. We all walk through that. That's being human, and that's where we meet God again and again. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, Jesus has raised us up, or the Heavenly Father raised us up in Christ Jesus and now we sit together with him, or in other words, he's established us to do something with him. We're to rule and reign with him. We're seated in heavenly places, an unusual concept. It literally says, Jesus, when he rose and went to heaven, sees us in such a powerful relationship with him, we take care of his business now. So when you're praying for Jesus to do something, he's going to do it through people. That, that, that's what he does. Can he do miracles? Yes, but he even uses somebody to call out the miracle when he's going to do a miracle. He still needs a person to say, God's about to heal somebody or God's about to do something. He still uses a person to make a pronouncement of what's happening because God uses people. God, the way we need to see our God is he's more in the earth now than ever before. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit when he sent him that we'd be better off with the Holy Spirit than we were with the person of Jesus because the Holy Spirit would be God with us and in us, everyone. If he's with us and in us, he's doing something with us and in us so that he can do something with all of this and all of them. That was a good, that was the cue for amen. Thank you, Mark. I knew, I heard it soundly from, from several quarters. Now, we access the power of God in our lives, the blessing of God in our lives, because we, we want to be a part of that relationship. It's something that's happening all the time. What's happening isn't coming to church, though He commands us to. What's happening is, is, is in the expression, the outward expression that we bring with joy, not because pastor asks us to, not because, oh, I've got to walk in front of the people and put an offering in, or I need to lift my hands, pastor might turn around and look. I don't turn around and look to see if anybody's raising their hands or worshiping. I'll turn around and look if I'm trying to see who's here so I can go greet somebody. That's why I turn around and look because I'm usually sitting right there. But I'm not looking around evaluating what is happening. I'm more, more or less listening all the time. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? Because when we come together, it should be more and more a celebration of a week that's been well lived. We should come in pumped and excited We've both let God do something in our heart and express himself through our life. And both are to happen all the time. If we focus too much on just an inward work, everybody gets incredibly uncomfortable. I'll tell you how I deal with being uncomfortable and God's dealing with my heart. When he's working on me with something and I'm uncomfortable, I find a way to get back in the other comfort zone of ministering to somebody else doing something to make a difference for someone else because there's an unfinished work on the inside of me that makes me disconcerted or uncomfortable, aggravated with myself if I have failed in something or if I'm slow to learn something or whatever it is. I then set that kind of on the shelf and say, God, you're being patient with me and I'm still an unfinished work and you're doing what you need to do in me, but I'm gonna go right now and make a difference for somebody else. And what happens is they feel better and I feel better. Social ministry works like that. It requires an outlet in others, or it's not social ministry. So much of what we, we think we're receiving at church is just the seed for what God can do. I have no idea who all of your people are and contacts and where you're going to be this week. Uh, you, will, you, you, in some cases, don't know who you're going to see this week. But God has something in mind. And if we think more about that, if we think on the things that are important to God, we will begin to, life that it, we will begin to live a life that is more glorifying of God. We're going to stay in Ephesians and, and then go to 2 Corinthians in a minute. But 
God gave us an, an inheritance in Christ Jesus, and it requires that we comply to, to why He gave it. Think of the inheritance from God as a trust. He is trusting us with, that's what Scripture says, He's trusting us with the riches of, of God's goodness in heaven. It's a trust. A trust is meant to be spent with some restrictions or compliance. There have been a lot of teaching about God empowering everybody to live the kind of life they want to live. I beg exception to that. My Bible says we're to live the life God had in mind then. He opens the windows of heaven. When we give that outward expression that he's looking for and he keeps doing an inward work, then he has an external means to give into our lives. If you, you get in a position, you feel bad that nobody's reaching out to you or ministering to you and you feel lonely or you feel afraid, you've got to reach out, number one, to let somebody know. But secondly, you get out of that funk, you get out of that place by finding somebody else to sow, sow into, to give into, to do for, that might be right in line with what you want. If you're feeling blue, go find somebody else and make a difference in their life. It works every time. Why? It's God's plan for us to get fixed when we need fixing. It's never stewing and feeling sorry for ourselves and wishing somebody would notice. It's getting up off of our own duffer and saying, I'm going to make a difference in somebody else's life. And sometimes I say this, whether they need it or not. Sometimes I don't know what they need. I just decide I'm going to find somebody and I'm going to do something to be a blessing to them. Or call them and say something that might make their day or text them out of the blue. And, and I'm not much of a texter. Lucinda does that, okay? She'll text out of the blue. I'll say, I've got so-and-so on my heart. Why don't you text them? She'll say, why don't you learn how? I said, I don't want to learn how. You do it really well. You know, that's just one of our, our things. I'm not super techie, and she's pretty embracing of those things. So anyway, social things matter. Now, you're going to hear me compare, put together two pieces here in a minute. He said, we endeavor to keep two, two kinds of unity. Unity in the Spirit, this is Ephesians 4.3, with peace. In other words, when we let God do a work on the inside of us that we're supposed to, we'll have a life of peace. Peace isn't going to come from everybody loving you. That's the world's kind of peace, and it doesn't last. God's peace is when you let Him love you, and He's working on you. You might feel like, man, when will this be done? When will I, when will I ever be fixed in this part of my life? But you'll have the peace knowing he's doing it because you can't engineer the fix anyway. That brings peace, a peace that passes our understanding. We won't even comprehend it. It's what the Scripture says. So he talks about unity in the Spirit that brings peace. When I think about spiritual things, it's what you do with what you hear today. When I'm, I'm preaching or teaching, what do you do with what you just heard? Determines a spiritual aspect of of your life today. This is one of your inputs, not your only one, I'm sure. But he said that's to, to continue until in verse 13, we all come into a unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God into a maturity in Christ. Two kinds of unity. It's talking about two aspects of unity, two things God requires for you to have a right relationship with Him and with the church. Unity in spirit, and that's, that's deciding. Unity comes from a series of right decisions. If you hear something from the Scripture and you think, I don't like that and I don't want to do that, you have chosen a piece of disunity. That's up to you. I don't control that. I just present what does the Scripture say that, that brings us into unity with God. If we respond to God's Word and it brings us in unity with Him, we become in greater unity with one another. When we're not aware and don't care that we're not aware, we're not in unity with one another. And unity does not require everybody to seek you out to know your business, but to you, for you to share when there's a void that God can fill through another person rather than expecting somebody to notice. People are too busy taking care of problems to chase down yours. You have to present them. That's just how life is, all right? Uh, too many times I've heard people feeling sorry for themselves, and nobody knew there was something going on. So the, the fix is in the Scripture. He said, we will come to a unity of the faith. 
So he's talking about unity of spirit and unity of faith. There is a faith that grows in coming together. In hearing testimonies, faith is stirred. That's why we, we started doing more of that. It brings an encouragement when Justin and Janessa sent me the letter and, and, and the gift of the church. It was a testimony of what God's doing right now because they still consider this home church. They still, I said, well, what, what is it? What is it that you haven't found yet? Depth of teaching that we got there changed our lives and we're doing what you said to do and it's working. That's a testimony. Testimonies come when we choose to be in agreement or unity with God through a series of choices. There's not like one magical choice. We come in to accept Jesus as Savior, then we begin making decisions that invite Him in as our Lord or our Master. Those are the areas where, where most people balk and squawk because we're in a nation and in a generation where individual rights are more important to people than the collective gain, and that's what's caused all the division in our nation the way it is right now is everybody wanting everything for themselves their own way instead of choosing to get into unity with, with what should be or could be done. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to do that with God's Word, come into agreement. So unity can be measured in these two things, our submission to the Holy Spirit, our unity with Him, and our submission within the body to one another. That doesn't mean you do everything everybody else tells you to do in the body. It means we become sensitive and join together, not just to meet the needs in this house, but to reach out and do something on the outside. There are things in any community that could be done to demonstrate Jesus, and we have to become better at that. Now, what is that? That's social ministry. I'm going to tell you something about the ministry. Most people come in because they've socially been loved and treated right, and then they learn spiritual truth. That's how it works. So what do we do? We want to be really good at, at planting. There, there's something you do in gardening or farming called nurse crops. You plant a lot of them this time of year, and then in the spring they're, they're all worked in and it enriches the soil. Social ministry is the nurse crop to spiritual relationship. Being willing to reach out to people and, and be loving and be kind. Now, our life focus in this has to be on God's agenda. In, in all of the division and discord going on, I purpose in my heart, I'm going to focus on what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do, and it's going to bring peace. It's going to bring joy. It's going to bring a, a sense of accomplishment. It's going to take away the angst, and it's going to, to limit the frustrations. Say limit because whenever you're working with people, you'll get frustrated sometimes. But he'll show you it's worth it. It's worth, people are worth it. Now, this is 2 Corinthians, and we'll spend the rest of our time this morning here in 2 Corinthians, because I'm going to build my case a little bit. I'm going to show you, uh, this is another letter to a church, church that was challenged. They got multiple long letters, so they had some challenges before them that, that the Apostle Paul was writing them to, to teach them. He also had a profound teaching relationship with that church. The church at Ephesus, he, he was more exhorting them, do the right thing, because they mostly were. The, the Corinthians, he's writing letters with, with direction and correction in it. This is beginning in verse 6, uh, or chapter 6, verse 14 of 2 Corinthians. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship is righteousness with unrighteousness? In other words, we, we've got to mind what relationships we're in and, and to what degree we invest in them. And what communion has light with darkness? Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Now, he uses two key words here, fellowship and communion. Fellowship and communion. We're to have fellowship with the body of Christ by degree. When I say by degree... All of you have a different relationship with me than anybody else. I don't choose it to be that way, but you choose it to be that way. Your fellowship with your pastor depends on what you want fellowship to be with your pastor. Some ask for uh, almost private tutoring. Others show up and blast out the door before I can know their name three or four times before I get to know them. Why? People choose what degree of fellowship. So in our relationships, we choose what degree of fellowship to be in with God's people, 
But then there's a fellowship on the outside. God's saying in, in these verses, there is a yoking together of fellowship here where we're in it thick and thin. That's the commitment God is after. But we're not to have the same kind of relationship with people who don't know Christ. We step back a little bit, say, no, no, my first commitment is to God, not to people who don't live for him. Now, that's kind of an interesting concept in the scripture. But he uses the word fellowship, then he uses another word, communion. And fellowship and communion are interrelated words. Communion literally means intercourse or uh, intense involvement, a, a living life fully together. We're not to have that with darkness. So what happens when something's going ugly is we represent God in the ugly, and, and we're, not there. we're not there to create this, this relationship where we are in, in bed with a different kind of life, different way of life. So what do we do? We look at fellowship and we look at communion. We think of communion as, you know, when we come to the table of the Lord or we're receiving the elements. He's not talking about that. He's, he's talking about fellowship first being the impact we have on others' lives. Communion is when God is having the impact on our life. We commune with Him. Then there's a secondary communion. We commune in the body of Christ. When people want to commune with me, they are seeking my advice about spiritual things or family matters or their marriage or sometimes their business or whatever. They're, they're wanting to commune at a personal level. I don't do that outside of Christianity. I don't have that to offer. Why? My communion, what I have to offer is based on a life given to Christ, not a life lived for self. I'm not an advisor. I'm not a counselor. But I will bring God's communion or God's thought or God's heart into a situation for someone who asks. You should have the same kind of relationships. Some people will come to be around you because they feel good when they're with you and you encourage them. That's fellowship. But fellowship can eventually become communion when they say, if this was you, if you were in the situation I'm in, what would you do? That's the beginning of communion. What can you do to help me improve my life situation? Communion does not come first. Fellowship does. Just showing that you, you, you care and you're concerned. And we're to do that with everybody. I want you to understand fellowship as the arm of the church outside the church. Communion happens for those that choose to commit and be together. So when we choose to be together, what happens is it helps drive the darkness out of our, our life and lifestyle. Why? We have people to be with, a family to be with. Every family that I know has an unspoken family code. There are rules. If you come to our house more than three times, you learn the family code to be in our house. I don't know how everybody else does it, but there's just certain things, where, especially when the kids were growing up, if everybody else's kids came over, they could three times kind of do whatever they wanted to, but during that third visit, I would have to speak up and say, you know, when, when you come in this house and you've been out playing in the yard and you're all muddy, you take your shoes off because my wife is not your slave. Oh, <laughs> I just make it really, really clear. You say, really? Yeah. Or, you know, when we're, when we're in the house, we don't run through and shake and break stuff, you know, because th this is what we've bought over time and we take care of our things. And, and then there's rules of, of conduct. We don't yell in our house. I despise, I despise screaming in a house. So we don't yell. You know, kids can come. They can get really, really rowdy about three times. But usually our kids would say, you know, you need to pipe down or dad's going to bust through the door and tell us to calm down, you know, because it's just, to me, it's chaos. Every family has a code. It comes when we enter into fellowship and communion. In fellowship, we're curious, like our, our worship kind of has a code. People lift their hands and God in the altar. That's why I used it as an example today. It's just kind of, it's the way we do it around here. And little kids can come in the altar and they can even play. And I don't care if they're playing during my sermon. If they want to be up here where they believe they're in the presence of God, or if they just think it's a wide open space and they're having fun, I'm good with that. That doesn't bother me. Why? Well, it's, it's a matter of being disruptive. If they're disruptive, that's different. Why? We want the, the house of God to be a joy-filled place. A place that we can openly express joy for being here. And sometimes this is what kids are doing. So I know when, when I tell parents that the first time or two, they're like shocked and surprised. 
And then I, I like to, if there are little kids are running around, I like to call them over to visit with me. And I'm just like, oh, Pastor, I'm so sorry. No, don't be sorry about that. Every family has communion and fellowship. And you want to determine how would Jesus have you represent that and where are the limits? See, if we're not careful, we just tell our kids things like, you just need to love everybody. Love is a big word. I think I would break that down a little bit, describe what that means, because otherwise you're going to get in trouble by saying that. And, and, and you can think of many things that I'm thinking about. Why There should be a, a common agreement where there's fellowship and a real steadfast one if there's communion. When kids would hang out at our house with my kids, I wanted to know them and know the parents. Why? I wanted to know if this is going to become a communion kind of relationship, close friendship, I want to know what are the elements of this communion? What are we receiving together? What is this together? Are you following me? All right, two elements in, in, in our ministry. Now, we will unify in, in these things. If we're going to continue Jesus' work, we come together. So when I talk about both social and spiritual ministry, you should always, every person should be in both. See, I, I'm not going to appoint somebody to, to do the senior's meal that doesn't come to church regularly. I wouldn't do that. Why? They need to, I need to see in their life that they're doing both. There's an inward work. And there's a desire for outward expression. So any of our leaders, you know, uh, if they're leading on Wednesday night, I want to see them in service on Sunday. Wherever they're not leading, be in a service. Why? Because it's evidence we're receiving what we need to for an inward work to happen. So we stay balanced between two kinds of work. The Bible teacher that only wants to tell everybody else what to do. I require of them to be involved in social ministry or they will be no good here. Why? There is a balance we are to carry in our lives individually that has both in it. Now, you may be better at one than the other. In our house, Lucinda is more social. She's more given to social than I am. So she helps me do better in that. I'm more given to spiritual things. I just, you know, that's just more my bent. What, what do we do? We balance each other out. And she's not carnal in her spirituality. We just, we'll see. She'll see it from a people angle, and I'll see it more from a God angle. And we have big discussions about that. She'll say, well, you've got to think about how that might make somebody feel. Okay, I hadn't thought about that very much. You know, gonna, I'm thinking, this is what God says, and I want to do what God says. And they're shaking their heads because there's most couples have this thing like that, that if we're serving God together, we, we have this thing where it's almost like we're arguing our case when we're saying the same thing a different way, bringing in spiritual and social together because God intended that marriage to happen inside of each one of us. And when it does, we can recognize when we're encountering a person who doesn't know about that, they may be almost entirely social in their interest in God. We have to make allowances for that. Or somebody might come in and they've just had some traditional teaching and, and uh, they think God's mad at them all the time. I meet people like that in traditional church all the time, want to know why God is mad at them or retaliating. Literally, well, we know that that's not true according to the Scripture because I'll show you what the Scripture says. When I tell people John 10, 9, and 10, they're, they're shocked and amazed. You mean the devil's up to all the bad stuff? Yes. God can only do good. Yes. And it's just revolutionary to people's thinking, you know, that's what the Bible says. Okay, now we know who's who. So we know who to fight and, and, and who to give in to. Anyway, I, I want to point out in Mark 6, this is, uh, this is Jesus setting up how he wanted ministry to be done early in his ministry. He's not about to ascend to heaven. He's empowering people. When we line up with what God wants, his power starts to work through us, and it changes us. I'll say this yet another way. Where I've had trouble submitting to God's word in my life, if I start helping and reaching out to others, it seems like it gets easier for me every time. And no, I will not give you specific examples of struggle. You have your own. I'm telling you what to do to make it less a struggle. To make a difference for somebody else, it's like the hand of God comes on you for you. That's just literally what happens. This is Mark 6. And in verses 3 through 6, people were, were, being, they were diminishing Jesus' divinity. He was, in his home, he was in his hometown, and people were not seeing him as Jesus, the Son of God. They were seeing him as Jesus, the Son of Mary and Joseph. And people were like, eh, we know him. 
He's not really anything special. So what Jesus did to work around that, if you've ever had anybody in your life, I've had people like that in my life, like, why would God use him? I know his background. I know about him. I knew him when he was 17. And they're just like, like that. Jesus had that happen to him. You will have that perhaps happen to you, especially if you've lived in the same house in the same town a year or two and people kind of know you and they're thinking, eh, I don't know about them talking to me about God. That's how Jesus was treated. Did you know that? What he did have to offer, they couldn't see because they were so busy looking for what he couldn't have. We've got to be careful to not do that to one another. Everybody in this house has something on the inside of them already because we're created in God's, God's image to make the difference in someone else's life. Not a difference, but the difference. That's how good God is and how he puts his, himself in us. But people were doing this to Jesus, so he, he turned around and he empowered other people. He empowered disciples. Maybe you can't reach everybody, but you can empower somebody who can. I, I, I got some discouraging news this week about something I wanted to do, and everybody wanted it, but because of COVID, they're afraid. And at first, I thought, oh, what a bummer. I, I, I was so set on this. I was so excited. I had a plan. I talked to people. We were, we were putting together a team to do this. And instead of giving up, I'm just stepping back saying, okay, there's got to be another way to do this, another way to do something good for people that will not be scary to people because they're, they're thinking, you know, they're thinking coming out to a meal is scary right now. So I have to change the way we do it. I'm not going to throw it in the ditch because it can't happen the way I wanted it to. I have to step back and say, no, this is about people, not about what I wanted to do or how I wanted to do it. God, you put in my heart to make a difference for people. How are we going to do that? Now, they said, isn't this the carpenter? And they were, they were deriding Jesus. And it says they were offended at him. Now, this is what Jesus did in verse 7. There are four things I see. We carry authority to transform lives. And honestly, anybody who wants to believe that is, has created a connection with God. I know people who don't know Jesus yet who do that because they recognize there is a God. They haven't found Jesus as Savior. They don't know how to make Him Lord. They don't even know what that's about. They think that is religion. And what they want is they want to make a difference through true relationships with people. So human to human, they take action like God would. That's remarkable. God put it inside of us to want to make a difference for others so much so that the world has that genetic trait of Heavenly Father in them too. All that has to happen is something to activate it. For us, the activation is the person of Christ Jesus comes to live inside of us. His spirit is living in us, and then we're fully turned on to what it is he wants to do. Where many times when people are doing it out in the world, there are all these pre-qualifications. We'll send you food if... We'll do this for you if you have enough need. Well, if you, if you can quantify and qualify and all that. Jesus says it's free gift to everybody. He's just going to do what he's going to do for everybody anyway. He, he's generosity first. He's not selective first. No. So we carry authority to transform lives. This is verse 7. And he called, them un, he called unto himself the twelve, and he began to send them out. Two by two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits. What does that mean? Anything people were struggling with that they wanted rid of, he said, you have power to take care of that in their life. Today, pornography would be one. A lot of times people, people you know, do, doing that in secret, but sometimes it gets their marriage in trouble or they just get sick and tired of it. Or they think this is just perverse. This is not something I really want to be doing. And people want free, but they don't know how to be free. How do you engage a conversation like that? You don't unless there's been fellowship for a while. So that, that's an example that's into the relationship a while. But did you know that's not something you wait to come to church to do? In fact, if I were to have an altar call today and say, anybody that's struggling with pornography and wants to be set free, come to the altar now, everybody would be like, who would dare do that? It's to freak everybody out, right? Well, but if you're in person, one-on-one, -on -one, with somebody, and they don't reject that Jesus is living in you, and they tell you, I'm concerned about my marriage because, I'm concerned about my family because, I'm concerned about my future because. When people lean into that, they are looking for, is this fellowship that can become communion? We know we have communion in our own, own homes as families, we're supposed to talk about those things that matter. I love it when I hear our families are doing that with their kids. Talk about the real issues that are confronting your kids. 
you want to cause them to be open and ask the questions. And when we respond in an ugly way, they stop asking. But when we respond with compassion, there's a leaning into the relationship. We want to create a, a response to people, an invitation to people on both ends that causes them to lean in to ask the question. Now, we carry authority to transform lives. Jesus literally was saying, if the devil's at work, he'll go when you, you get involved in the relationship. I like to think of it in that simple of terms. I don't run around casting devils out of people. I have done that activity, especially overseas, because people will come and ask you and want to pay you money. If you're a man of God and they see you walking on the street, they'll say, light is coming from you. Please get rid of the devil in my life. And they want to give you money. Well, we don't take money for that. So it can be done that way, that openly, because people are that desperate sometimes. But what should happen is in an interaction of God's love working through you around another person, if they are oppressed, their oppression is going to go just because Jesus is living in you. So don't run around acting like a crazy radical person. Somebody say amen. I'm uh, not telling you to do something weird. I'm telling you to do what is needed and expected with people. We carry authority to transform lives. Second, verses 8 and 9, our assignment is not determined by our resources. God didn't care if you have any money, any, any big car, fancy car, big house, or anything. He don't care about any of that. He's not limited. Look what he told the disciples. And he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey. You send them out two by two. He said, don't take anything with you except a walking stick. What? I would be uncomfortable with that. <laughs> that, would, that would be really weird. I mean, ministry kind of started out that way. I didn't have any walking stick, but I didn't have anything. So I kind of relate to this. No script, in other words, no, no, no clipboard. That, that'd get me in trouble. No, no food and no money. Well, how are you going to do ministry with none of that? It, it doesn't say we won't have it. It's saying rather don't depend on any of that. Our, our, our success with people isn't based on what we have. God couldn't care less about that. It's what's going on in our heart. What's the inward work that's happening that God will use to bring an outward expression? I've heard so many people through, through my, my years of, of ministry time say things like, someday when I'm in a better position, I will obey God. I can prophesy back to their face, then you never will. <laughs> because the devil will fight anybody trying to get in a better position. If he knows that's the key, if the devil knows that's the key for you to keep you, for, to, to empower you, you have to have stuff or a better position to reach people for God, the devil will make sure you never do. He will fight you and fight you and fight you. You break his stronghold over your life when you say, it doesn't matter whether I have anything or not, I'm going to obey God. Then the blessing of God comes on you and the devil can't stop it. Why? When we give him our first, God blesses the rest. I tell you that often in our relationships particularly you want to test God somewhere test him in loving people watch what he'll do he will open the windows of heaven for that like there is no tomorrow It'll just open up to you now our assignment not determined by natural resources third we will have some acceptance we will have some success And he said to them in verse 10, wherever you enter into a house or you have relationship and you are accepted, stay there until you depart from that place. He's telling them they're going to live house to house. He's telling them they're going to find believers. They're going to go out and find somebody that will believe the word of God. And they're to stay there until they go to the next place. Find who cares for you and commune there. That's what church is to be in this picture. A house where you can abide and people care about you and you know that you're cared about and you care about the people that are there. When there's not a relationship like that, we're missing the whole point to what church is about. It's about the communion piece. Now, we will have some acceptance, but fourth, we will experience some rejection too. I would say acceptance is still far greater than rejection as long as we're doing it right. He said in in verse 11, whoever shall not receive you or hear you when you depart from there, shake the dust off your feet. In other words, get over it quickly. Move on to what's next. 
I, I see when it comes to people outside the church, people come and go into my life. You know, I, I, don't, I don't commune until there's a fellowship around Christ. I, I, I don't commune. I don't run around with a group of guys that do stuff. You know, if I'm going to run around with anybody, be somebody from here. You know, why do I do that? Communion is going to, my communion is going to happen with people who have committed to communion back. There's a relationship back to this place particularly. That doesn't mean I don't care for everybody out there. I care. But my role is to represent Christ Jesus and not myself as I'm reaching out to people and loving people. So well, he said, we're going to experience some rejection. He said, shake the dust off. In other words, don't let it get to you. Shake the dust off your feet. Don't let anything slow you down is what it's saying. Don't be discouraged when you, you get the one that says, not for me. I get one every so often. If I'm in a room, I, my, my favorite thing to do on the outside is be among a group of people and somebody asks me a question. And many times somebody in the room will know I'm a pastor. Not always do they know, but they'll ask, what do you think about this? And I will launch into what I know from, from the Scripture. Usually, if the group is bigger than 10, at least one will kind of find a way to depart. They're not interested. Well, I don't make a big deal of that. I just keep talking to the ones who are interested. We have to approach life that way. Everybody's not going to choose to love you or love Jesus, but we won't give anybody a chance if we don't reach out to make a difference. This is early in Jesus' ministry in Mark 6. He's sending them out before they knew what to do. He's sending them out, and they, I'll say it this way, they were still not knowing anything. This isn't the three and a half years into Jesus' ministry where they all saw the master do it, and they didn't all stand there and say, but we want you to do it first, so we're comfortable. He said, no, just go two by two. That's your comfort zone. So I, I remember as, as a, a young person, I was nine years old, 10 years old, Pastor Tolliver was my, my pastor in Melvin. And he would call me to do stuff with him all the time. And he kept telling me, someday you're going to be a preacher. And I'd say, no, I'm not either. <laughs> I don't want to because he was really bold and really outgoing. And I never was with Pastor Tolliver a day that he didn't bring somebody to Christ. He just did that all the time. He was, truly was an evangelist, an old, older fellow. But when I was with him, I would think how uncomfortable I would be entering into conversation like he does. So I asked him, how do you do this? He said, I listen for an opening. When somebody is disappointed or they're hurting or they're questioning, it's my chance to bring Jesus. He fixes all of that. And he, made, he gave me an easy answer. After that, I couldn't get away from needing to be his witness. Why? He said, it's the easiest thing in the world that you're not really saved. Well, that scared me when I was young. I thought, dear Lord, I don't want to go to hell. But he tied salvation into what I'm talking about today. Understand when these disciples were going out, Jesus said, here's the easy recipe. Here's how it's going to work. Because our, our reaching people, our ministry will be no different than it was for the Lord Jesus. There will be times people will discount you because they, they know something in your life or in your past or some imperfection. Go to somebody who doesn't. I'll tell you something about witnessing. Find somebody that doesn't know you and can't do that. You'll feel better start now. Why? Otherwise, everybody gets disqualified by something along the way, some, some failing we've had or something that we've had that gets challenged. Why? We are human, divinely touched by God. That's who we are. I want to pray with you this morning. I'm leading up to some things as we come into the holidays about this season. I'm, I'm praying a lot about all the, the angst in our nation and how it may affect how we do ministry. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus didn't shut down because there was difficulty. He was innovative. And today should help us think that way in understanding there's more than one kind of ministry, and I want you to kind of get something settled. What we do here when we come together is a celebration. Ministry is what happens when we take the seed that we received here and we do something with it. This service is not the ministry. It's proof that there is one. It's evidence that God's at work in people because people come out to hear. I would say that, that more than 60% of the time, the messages that I bring from the Scripture challenge us somehow. They don't only challenge you, it challenges me. In fact, I have preached it to me at least three times before I ever bring anything to you because I do at least three edits before I ever, ever even bring it out in word. I don't stand in front of a mirror or anything. I, I, that intimidates me. I look and think, you look really stupid. So I just don't do that. <laughs> or you sound really goofy. So I don't like to listen to myself either. 
But I will go through three edits while I'm taking a lot of stuff and bringing it down to what matters the most that will please God and how we can have that feeling, how we can have that knowing. I want you to know rolling forward how much God loves you and how he loves interacting with you and how he wants to empower your life and keep family safe. I'm going to pray this morning about sickness and disease and everything that's happening around us because our covenant with God says Jesus is our healer. It doesn't mean you'll never be challenged with sickness. You'll have occasion to be challenged. But you can have faith in the name of Jesus to recover, to live and not die. There are a number of people I've said, said recently, they're so afraid, they're, they're older and at home. God's word promises that he will heal you, you'll live and not die. I wish I could believe that is the common answer. It's hard for someone to believe when they first hear it. But after a while, or if you have nowhere else to turn, it gets easier to believe. Why? I want to believe God's on my side, don't you? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this gathering of your people together today. Father, it's a joy to bring your heart forward in communication. Father, it's a joy to receive what you're saying. Heavenly Father, help us to be balanced personally where you're doing a work on the inside of us and it motivates us to want to do something on the outside for you. Heavenly Father, within our church, let there be a greater healthfulness than ever before, spirit, soul, and body. Father, I take authority over the works of darkness. In Jesus' name, I pronounce Jesus is our healer. And by his stripes, we have been healed. And because of his blood, we have authority in this situation that no sickness and no disease will come near our dwelling place. Father, that means every person, every, every man, woman, and child is protected in this covenant. And I call for that protection in Jesus' name. Father, help us to be agents of healing and not be sick ourselves. Father, give us the ability to minister when ministering is most important to bring comfort and availability, uh, bring Jesus into every situation. Heavenly Father, as we roll into the holiday season, help us know how to be the expression of your love in our communities. Father, put it in our hearts. I ask you to plant the seed of that in every heart right now. Father, it won't be just two or three responsible to reach out, but Father, a whole church having an inward work with an outward expression. It is the thing of beauty you call the body of Christ. Heavenly Father, I ask that your anointing, your approval, your blessing be on every person this morning. Father, I ask as we, we close out this year, you keep us in your perfect peace. You keep us in a position of relationship where we're in peace no matter what. Heavenly Father, for our our public workers in healthcare, in, in education, in any other place where they're at risk of communicable disease. Father, I ask again, faith and confidence in your protection and give them wisdom to know how to operate. Give them the understanding of how to, to use precautions in every way from every angle. We ask for your help and your wisdom today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go2lwc.org. You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's Word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of His Word.